Welcome to the No Shame on You podcast, where we talk to mental health professionals, educators, and advocates. No Shame on You is a 501c3 organization dedicated to eliminating the stigma associated with mental health conditions and raising awareness. Our goal is for people who need help to seek it, for family members and friends to know how to provide proper support and to save lives. Now, here's your host, No Shame on You's founder and president, Miriam Ament. Welcome to the 20th podcast of No Shame on You, an organization dedicated to eliminating the stigma associated with mental health conditions and raising awareness. My name is Miriam Ament, and I am the founder and president of No Shame on You. Today, we are joined by Jody Siegel, Director of Education at the organization Alyssa's Mission. Hi, Jody. So great to have you on our podcast today. Thank you, Miriam. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for inviting me. We're, we're thrilled to have you. Um, I wanted to ask first in general, how are you doing during these extraordinary times in our world? Um, you know, I think as well as can be expected, it's definitely uh, been a challenge. And um, my typical work day or work week involves driving out to schools and seeing a lot of different people. And on the weekends, I love movies and seeing friends. So, so it's been tough not being able to do that. But um, I'm healthy. My family's healthy. Um, we're all kind of hanging in there, and um, you know, doing the best we can. So it's 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 been better than better than expected, and definitely, I know there are many in 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 much worse situations. So I feel very fortunate. Okay, good. I'm glad you're sort of getting through each day, and you're all uh, hanging in there. Uh, please, um, if you could, please tell us about the history of Alyssa's mission and how it got started. Yeah, sure. Um, so we're a nonprofit. We're based in Northbrook. Our whole focus is suicide prevention, and specifically, we do suicide prevention in middle and high schools. And we got started, unfortunately, because of a suicide. Alyssa Myers, who grew up on the north side of, of Chicago, she uh, took her life in 2004 when she was just 16 years old, which, of course, was devastating for her family, for her friends. And, and it really came out pretty quickly after Alyssa's death that there were a lot of things going on with Alyssa that her friends were aware of that her parents were not. So a lot of warning signs were present. Teens, as, as we all know, are very commonly confiding in friends and, and hiding things from parents. And that was really the case with Alyssa. Um, beginning as young as sixth, seventh grade, she started telling her friends that she wanted to die. She would ask her friends if they would come to her funeral if she killed herself so, you know so really saying some intense things yeah uh, there were some you know, signs of self-injury uh, she was really down on herself there there are a lot of things going on and Alyssa's friends wanted to help but they really didn't know how there at that time no one was really talking about depression suicide it was there's a lot of stigma and Alyssa's friends did not know what their role was Alyssa made them promise not to tell and wanting to be good friends, they, they kept it a secret. So when all of this started coming out after Alyssa's death, of course, Alyssa's parents in no way blamed her friends. You know, it was not their fault, but it really opened up their eyes to the fact that people needed to be talking about this topic. And, and pretty quickly after, after Alyssa died, they started sharing her story and then ultimately started the organization in 2006. Wow. Well, amazing that they they turned it into this positive educational uh, mission, which is amazing. Um, can you tell us about the, the primary activities of the organization? Yeah, um, really our main role is funding and supporting schools with the Science of Suicide program. This is an evidence-based program. You know, we did not develop it. It was developed by an organization in Massachusetts called MindWise Innovations. 
And the program's been around for years and years. And the board of uh, directors of Alyssa's mission really spent about a year um, when they got started investigating different programs, really wanting to make sure that whatever programming they were bringing to schools had safe messaging, that it, it did what it was intended to do, which is reduce suicides. And, and then, you know, also that, um, you know, that the program was, was, was something that schools would feel comfortable with. Um, they really liked this program in particular because it not only contained an educational component, which other programs certainly did, you know, so educating students about warning signs of depression and suicide, but also it had a screening piece. So it could help, it help schools to identify, not diagnose by any means, but to identify students who might need further investigation. And so that was really kind of the, the piece that, that stood out the most. And, and so we've been bringing this program to schools uh, ever since. Um, it's been about 10 years now, and that's, I've been to the organization now um, just short of that. So it was really, you know, kind of right before I started is when we started uh, bringing this program out to schools and slowly growing it uh, throughout the years. We pay for all of the materials and we also provide schools with hands-on support from start to finish in order to get this program up and running and to ensure that it's successful. Right. What, what does that hands-on support look like? Um, you know, we're there uh, on all program days, um, but really even before that, from the beginning, we, we talk to schools and we have um, planning, you know, a big planning meeting, virtual, of course, but you know, right. even prior to this, <laughs> to this time, we, we would do it that way and really just spending a lot of time making sure that they're ready for the program. So having protocols in place, for example, um, to make sure that their staff know, knows what to do in the event someone is confiding in them. You know, an important part of this program is that students are not only learning warning signs, but they're also hearing this message, act, acknowledge, care, tell. So it takes the ownership off of them. You know, it's not, they learn it's not their role to fix their friend if they're observing some signs of depression or suicide. They can't do that. Most people who are thinking about suicide have an underlying mental health condition, most commonly depression. And it's something that requires treatment, just like any other illness that people would go to their doctor for. So that's a really big part of the program. Students learn that. They learn this message of ACT. They learn these trusted adults. You know, They talk about who these trusted adults are in their life at school, outside of school. And you know, so, so that's really you know, a, a big piece of the program that students internalize. And so, um, you know, our, our role is really kind of making sure that those trusted adults, the, the teachers, you know, we want to make sure that they know what to do. So we right. talk about that. We make sure schools have protocols. We provide all staff training prior to doing this program with students. So we'll educate all the staff in the building on suicide prevention and also make them aware of the program that their students will be going through. But we know that just as we want students to be on the lookout for signs of concern in their friend, we wanna make sure that teachers as gatekeepers in the building can do this too. So right. it's really educating the whole community. Um, so we do a lot of work with schools even before the program gets up and running. And then of course we're there on program days and many times schools will do the program with multiple grade levels. So it, it takes a while, you know, so we're, we're sometimes there two, three, four days. Um, and, and then we also collect some data. We do pre and post testing the first year to make sure that students are in fact learning and to help identify any gaps. So we, we, you know, we really provide feedback throughout from start to finish. That sounds 
really good because it sounds like there's a lot of follow-up and continuity and it's not just a one one hour you're there and no then- not at all it's a it's a big time commitment um you know t- typically 25 30 plus hours um, for for each new school and we're really hands-on for the first two years that we work with a school the goal is that you know this is a program schools do annually and um, you know, ultimately, we want schools to be able to take this program on independently, and that's really the best way to empower them, and then also the way for us to continue to to grow and to expand this program into additional schools. Right. And speaking of, how many schools have you done programming in so far? <laughs> um, you know, we we had anticipated ending last school year with about 250. Um, we had a, some schools at the end that just were not able to implement the program because. As you know, schools closed early, but right. I think we're at that point right now, you know, at about 250 uh, plus, and we typically grow at a rate of about 50 new schools a year. Wow. This year might be a little bit different, but um, we definitely do not have a shortage of schools reaching out, and the program is still going on this year. Um, you know, we, we had to stop in March and there was some reevaluation of how to make yeah. the program work in this new model, but right. we do have a virtual uh, model that is being utilized uh, currently. And we keep hearing from more and more schools. We have never turned a school away. We will find a way to work with the school, even if they're three hours away. We, you know, we we'll make it work. It, wonderful. Um, and and since you mentioned the three hours away, have you had um, schools reach out from out of state further than three hours away? And and how do you handle? Um, yeah, we, we have. We actually took on our first Wisconsin school last year. Um, nice. We try our best to, to not say no. But beyond that, we really have limited our, our support to, to schools in Illinois. Just, you know, we, we, we like to be as hands on as we can. And we're also a small organization, but we will always direct schools that are out of state who do reach out to MindWise Innovations, um, the program developers, and we'll try to find a way for them to get support through them. But I, I definitely have, have had some phone conversations with schools in California or schools in Texas just to try right. and at least help get them started. Right, no, I'm sure that's that's wonderful that you that you try to make sure that they have the resources they need even if you can't fly out there and especially <laughs> now, but in general. I wish we could, but yeah. I, no, yeah. I know, believe me, I understand small organization. <laughs> Believe me, um, you talked about screening before. Can you elaborate a little bit on the importance of screening, screening and what it entails? Yeah, certainly. So um, the program, um, there's a separate middle and high school program, but the core principles of the program are the same. So as I mentioned, students, uh, there's an educational component. They watch a video. There's a separate middle and high school video, but they're each about 20 minutes. There's a discussion that goes along with it. So the program could be taught in one class period. And then at the end of the the classroom lesson, about the last five minutes, students will fill out a brief screener. So again, it's not a a way of diagnosing anyone. That's not school's intention, nor is a screener capable of doing that. But it's a way of helping to identify those students who who need some additional follow-up by school mental health staff. There are seven questions on the screener. It's quick. It's known from a longer uh, in validated instruments. So the screener is the BSAD, Brief Screen for Adolescent Depression. Um, and, uh, you know, seven questions, two questions deal specifically with suicide risk. So actually asking students if they think seriously about suicide. And then there's another question asking them if they ever at any point in their life have made an attempt. And so any students answering yes to either or both of those questions 
those are students that will get followed up with by the school social workers, counselors, uh, psychologists that same day, you know, and in order to ensure that they're safe to go home. And, you know, and of course, some students say yes to those, it's a mistake or it's something, a misunderstanding or something that happened three years ago and it wasn't really a suicide attempt. You know, so it doesn't mean just because they answer those questions that they're suicidal, but they will definitely get follow-up. And then the additional five questions on the screener deal more with possible signs of depression. So asking students, you know, if they're about sleeping issues, if they feel like they're as good looking compared to other people, if they're having problems thinking clearly. So in combination, you know, most students might say yes to one or two, but the screener does a very good job of tapping into students who, who potentially need support. So if students say no to the two suicide questions, but they answer yes to four or five of the remaining five, those students will also get followed up with by school mental health staff. If not the same day as the program, then within the next uh, day or so. Right. I also want to mention that another part of this program, which is really important, is students also have the ability to indicate if they want to talk to an adult about themselves or a friend. So they answer the screener questions and then they will answer additionally, yes, I need to talk to an adult Today, it's an emergency. I need to talk to someone in the week or no, I do not need to talk to anyone at this time. And then based on those responses, it's another way that students would get follow-up. So obviously anyone who says it's an emergency, even if they answer no to all the screener questions, they're gonna get followed up with that day. They might have concerns about a friend and that's definitely happened. Um, but in the event someone just wants to talk in the week, their screener responses are low, um, three or fewer yeses then they will get followed up with within that week. So we're, you know, it's really a way for schools to tap into all levels of need. Um, and even if a student meets with someone and they're okay, it's forming that relationship, it's reducing stigma about help seeking and about talking to mental health staff at the school. So there's always positives. But, you know, just in terms of our numbers, we've, I've been doing this now, this is uh, my 10th year working for Alyssa's mission. And we collect data from all of our school partners after the program and typically about 16% of students who go through the program require follow up based on how they fill out that screener oh, wow. um, and response card and then about half of those kids so 8% of the kids who go through the program are ultimately referred on for a service either continued or new and what's really significant 8% of the kids um, who uh, are referred on um, so 16% need follow-up and then about half of those, so 8% of the SOS population are ultimately referred on for a service. So you know, half of the kids who are followed up with actually need something. And then what I went on to say is that, you know, and this is really kind of the distinguishing piece for me anyway, is that about pretty much every year it's been consistent, about 62, 63% of those students who are referred on for a service 62, 63% of those referrals are for new services, meaning the student was not getting any services prior to SOS or because of SOS, they are referred on for a higher level of service than what they were getting before. So SOS does a really great job of bringing students to the attention of school staff that they might not have known about. And this has definitely happened uh, countless times I'm at a school and it's the student who gets all A's, who's pretty quiet. They assumed was doing just fine under right. the radar. And then they're someone who has an active suicide plan. 
And, you know, I just have to tell this one story because it stuck with me. This happened my very first year working for Alyssa's mission. And in my mind, it encapsulates the, the need for screening and why it's so important. Um, you know, there was a student who went through the SOS program and it was the school's first year doing the program. And they answered yes to all the screener questions. By the way, they also said, no, they didn't need to talk. So another reason why you need to screen, some kids, they'll say, no, they don't need to talk, but they'll be honest when they fill out those seven yes or no questions. Right. So the social worker was, was meeting with this young man and he was just very, very agitated. And he kept repeating over and over while she was trying to interview him. I just don't get why you're, why you're doing this program today. Why, why are you doing this today? I don't understand why are you doing this today? Finally, after you know, many minutes of her kind of trying to talk with him, he pulls a crumpled piece of paper out of his pocket and puts it on the table and pushes it toward her. And it was his suicide note because he was planning to, to take his life that day. So <gasps> I know it gives me chills every time. I mean, it's hard for me not to, to tear up when I, when I tell this because it's just every single time it just makes me think of this program saved his life, you know, right. and they never would have known about him. Right. So it, it's just, it, I can't emphasize enough how important screening is. And, you know, with, with regard to just, you know, our data, we collect information every year. So last school year alone, and this was an abbreviated year where we didn't even get to do all the programming we had intended. We educated almost 72,000 students. Uh, on top of that, we had about 5,600 students referred on for a service. And this is out of all the, the schools we worked with last year. One year, wow. One year. And then 1,691 of those referrals were for community-based counseling, meaning these were kids who needed support because of possible depression, anxiety. And you know, our goal is not to just identify kids at imminent risk for suicide. We want right. to get them help proactively early right. Before this crisis happens, exactly, we had you know over 5,600 referred on for services. So that's school-based counseling, you know, everything. 1,600 were for um, counseling. So we know that's a great way to help prevent that that crisis from from coming. But we did still have 119 students hospitalized. So those are kids who really were at the point of, of possibly taking their life, and and we feel that we saved those lives. Absolutely. So, um, you know, every year we're, we're, we're collecting this data and it just staggers me each and every year how, just what an impact that we're able to make through this program. Absolutely incredible. Um, in terms of signs and symptoms, we touched a little bit on that, but what are, for our listeners, what are signs and symptoms of suicidal thoughts that people can look for in a loved one? Yeah, no, it's really important for everyone to be aware of that. I would say the biggest one is that, that if someone is talking about taking their life, you know, the myth is that if someone is talking about suicide, that they won't really do it, that maybe they just want attention. But when someone is talking about it, it means they're thinking about it. They very well could act on those thoughts. We always need to take it absolutely seriously and never just assume, oh, they don't mean it. They would never do it. Alyssa talked about suicide for years and, you know, I wish that she would that it wouldn't have happened. But, you know, when someone talks about it, you don't want to take that chance about if or when it, it could possibly happen. And this includes whether someone directly talks about it, or even indirect statements like my family would be better off without me, or you won't have to worry about me much longer. 
also includes if someone's someone says it or if they write it or put it in a text message or a social media post or an email so it's the number one sign and we always recommend if you're seeing that don't leave anyone alone um, you know who, who is talking about ending their life I would say another key sign is that if, if someone drops out um, I mean dropping out of school would be kind of an obvious one but dropping out of an activity that someone really previously enjoyed for no apparent reason. You know, someone loves soccer, they're on the soccer team, they suddenly quit. They're in all the school plays and suddenly they just decide, I'm not doing that anymore. Uh, someone who's isolating themselves from, from really everyone and everything in their life. Hygiene neglect, you know, appearance neglect. For most teens, it's pretty important how they look and how others perceive them. And you know, not everyone, but most. And so especially if this is a change of, you know, if there's a student who stops showering, they're wearing the same clothes, you know, they're, they're not taking care of themselves, a female student who, who wore makeup and did her hair and suddenly she stops doing that and taking care of herself, that is a really big, big red flag. Um, another one is if someone suddenly secures a means of self-harm. Uh, you know, a firearm is certainly one, but it doesn't have to be. It could be alcohol, it could be pills, it could be a knife. Or if someone is researching ways to end their life, um, you know, really a, clearly a, a, a serious uh, and big red flag there. Uh, another one is someone who's giving away possessions. So Alyssa, in the, the days and weeks before she died, she started giving her friends her clothes, her jewelry, and they just thought she was being really generous. They didn't know that that's a really serious thing. You know, if you think about it as adults, we have ways of, of tying up loose ends. We have a will and for an adult who said, if there's an adult who suddenly went to get their affairs in order and met with their lawyer and, you know, did their will, th that potentially could be a sign. But for teens, you know, it could be apologizing, you know, writing wrong. So there's a middle school we worked with where a student put goodbye notes in all of her friends' lockers. And luckily her friends knew enough that that was serious and they told the school social worker. And as it turned out, she you know, was really seriously thinking about, about suicide and needed help and they were able to get her that help. Oh, um, you know, another example of this that I was actually at the school, when this happened, they were doing their SOS program. And this actually happened by someone not even involved in the program, which is kind of a random you know, event. Um, a, a student came to his counselor and he showed her a text message he had received from his friend. The text message basically said, I can't do this anymore. I, I have to end it all. The boy um, who wrote the text went on to provide all of, his, all of his computer passwords. He gave directions about who should receive his things. So okay. in that text, obviously, a number of, of different critical signs. Right. Uh, the, the school called the parents um, and that the parents were at work. The boy was home alone that day. They ended up dispatching police and ambulances to his home. Thankfully, he was okay, but he had an active plan to take his life. So just with any of these signs, I can't emphasize enough the need to act immediately. Don't wait, don't just assume, oh, they'll be okay. You know, you need to really do something um, <laughs> right away just to kind of make sure that person is safe. But even if, you know, these are those critical signs, but I also want to emphasize, and I talked earlier about, you know, with SOS, we want to be proactive. Same thing with us, you know, if you're a parent, if you're, if you work with teens in some way as a teacher or, you know, any, any context that you might, um, you know, that you might come in contact with them, we want to be on the lookout for, for some of those early signs 
as well and, and try to get someone help before they're at the point of those critical signs of suicide that I just mentioned. So signs of depression, anxiety, you know, other mental health distress, that's also often a precursor, you know, for, it's, a, it's a most significant risk factor for, for suicide is someone who has undiagnosed depression or other mental illness. So signs of, of incipient depression, you know, if someone is, their, their mood has changed there, and it doesn't have to just be someone who is sad. Um, and that's kind of um, what makes it hard for many parents to recognize depression in their teen because it often comes out as anger or irritability. Not just someone who's having a bad day or yelling at mom or dad. I mean, this is something that's happening on an ongoing basis. Uh, but really with depression, it only takes a couple of weeks for someone to warrant that diagnosis. So five or more symptoms for a period of two weeks or longer. So it can come on quickly. So those changes in mood, if someone is having significant changes with eating or sleeping patterns, if their energy level is really low, you know, they're doing little things makes them feel exhausted, low self-esteem, feeling worthless, if they can't think clearly, all of these different things, someone who's making poor decisions and choices, risky decisions, you know, they're, right. they're picking fights, they're, they're challenging authority, shoplifting, drug and alcohol use, especially if someone is doing that alone uh, to cope, you know, not, I mean, yes, we know teens should not drink or use drugs, but be a lot more concerning if they're doing it by themselves during the day, as opposed to trying alcohol once at a party, you know, so you have to kind of, you know, think of all these things, and especially if it's multiple signs and symptoms and it's something that's happening not just over a day or two but over a week or two we want right. to act on that just as much as you'd want to act on those critical signs of suicide right absolutely thank you for all those very important uh, signs and symptoms and what to look for and i just want to underscore um what you mentioned earlier about talking to a trusted adult and as part of Alyssa's tragic story was that her friends understandably didn't know that even though she said, you know, please don't tell anyone that this is the kind of, this is one of the few times that you break a confidence. Absolutely. It's, and it was a cry for help. And yes, you know, some teens are worried and we talk about this in the program. Well, my friend will be mad at me and, right. you know, they're going to hate me. They, they made me promise. Well, you know what? They might be mad for a short time, but ultimately they're telling you as their friend because they want some help. Right. And in the long run, they're going to appreciate the fact that you cared about them. And we hear story after story about this from, from teens at our schools, you know, that they were actually able to, we have a scholarship program and we have you know, people send in submissions and it's a lot of that. Well, they were mad at first, but then ultimately, you know, it strengthened our friendship. They're, they're still here. And, right. you know, Alyssa's friends have said that too. I'd much rather would have had Alyssa mad at me for weeks, months, even years, if it would have meant I didn't have to go to her funeral. Right. So it's, you know, when you put it in that perspective, the, the need to tell supersedes any of that possible anger your friend might have. Right, exactly. Um, and then we touched on, you mentioned concerning tests or so, texts or social media posts. Yeah. What can friends and family do um, when they see a concerning text or social media post, which is also, I mean, we talked about signs and symptoms, but I sometimes social media is a whole other uh, area where it can get. Well, and I, yeah, I think sometimes people think, oh, they would never put something out like that if they were really thinking that, 
or it's kind of that that tendency well someone else is going to do something you know other people saw this too so right. you know I, someone else can worry about it or the thought is oh it's not my business you know like if you're a parent for example and you you see that or your child comes to you and you know we had a, a middle school we work with where this happened several years ago where a student posted on social media i'm going to kill myself on halloween right. and many students told their parents this was over the weekend and parents it's kind of the, the, the same kind of answer across the board, which was really surprising. Well, let's, why don't you talk to the counselor on Monday? No one called anyone at the school and this wasn't really conveyed until that, you know, a couple days later. So thankfully this student was okay. And, you know, it, it nothing, nothing negative happened, but it, it, the school then turned around and sent out a lot of messaging about, you know, if, if something like this happens, you know, you need to tell someone right away. And the best situ the best thing to do in that kind of situation, um, or really any situation where you can't, you know, of course, like if it's a parent and you know you, you're, you have the access, if it's not emergent, you can call the school and let them kind of handle it. But in a situation like that, like if it's a weekend, the best thing to do is to for a parent to really call that other parent, you know, instead of just kind of saying, well, let's wait and see, or we'll, we'll email the counselor. They're not going to get that message right away. And God forbid something happens. So I know um, a lot of us have that fear. Like it's not my place. They're going to get mad. They're going to, you know, they're going to, it's, they're going to be upset with me. And it's a very uncomfortable thing to have to report. However, you know, what I always say is think about it if it, if it were your child and wouldn't you want someone to come to you? Yes, you might be upset. You might even get angry. You might get defensive. That's a natural reaction because you don't want to believe as a parent that that could be true of my child. Right. But most of the time, you know, people are going to thank you. And I, I've had to make a call like this. And even in my line of work, it was extremely uncomfortable, but I, I knew I had to do it. And the right. parent thanked me. It was not someone I knew very well at all. But my my child had, you know, had, had a concern about her friend and, you know, and I, I, what else could I do? So, right. uh, you know, I, sometimes you have to do that. And, you know, I have to share this story because this, for me, really kind of underscores the, this need um, of, 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 it doesn't matter if it's, you don't feel it's your place, you need to do something right away. Um, pretty, I think it was like about a week or so after Alyssa died, there was a prominent community member and he invited Alyssa's mom and her, her brother-in-law, so Alyssa's uncle, I'm sorry, Liz's uncle, um, the mom's brother-in-law, um, out to lunch. And at this lunch, he conveyed to them that a few days before Alyssa died, he had gotten a phone call from a parent who was looking for advice. And this parent reported to him that she had overheard Alyssa tell her daughter that she wanted to die. And she didn't know what to do. She didn't know if she should call Alyssa's mom. And, you know, again, that, that same kind of feeling I just mentioned, like, oh, it's not really my business. I should, you know, she probably already knows what's going on. Like, this is, you know, I, I don't know. So he told Alyssa's mom that he had told this other parent, you know what, it's not your place, leave it alone. And she, she didn't do anything. He didn't do anything. And right. To this day, you know, Alyssa's mom still has no idea, like, what was the purpose of this luncheon, you know, a way for him to assuage his guilt about what had happened. I mean, obviously nothing else good could come out of it, I guess, except for the fact that this is such an important lesson. You know, if you know something, if you see something, say something, don't right. just don't just let it go you know we all have that feeling in our gut that something could be wrong and we we just can't ignore that especially when 
it's someone who's who's posting something um, potentially about about ending their life. You know, that it's it's just it's that serious. Right. Well, thank you for sharing that story. I'm, it's I have the chills from um, it's heartbreaking to hear that kind of thing a week after losing a child. Yeah, I can't imagine. Yeah. But, um, you know, the fact that she Alyssa, you know, Alyssa is brave enough to share it and to yeah. really hope that others can learn from that. That you know, sometimes you you, you need to feel uncomfortable to be able to, exactly. to make sure that someone else is okay. Absolutely, and I you know such respect um and they're so inspiring Alyssa's family for taking such a heartbreaking situation and really saving so many lives like you said I mean just just in one year you know thousands and thousands and thousands of lives you're impacting let alone over the many years that Alyssa's mission has been around so really um you know my thanks to the family for for doing such wonderful things and to you for carrying out their mission um I wanted to know uh, first of all if there are any last things you want to share and also where can people find more information about Alyssa's mission and how to get involved and you know how to find out about your great programming yeah no thanks um the best way um is through our website Alyssa's mission so it's e-l-y-s-s-a-s mission.org um, you know, we're on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, but I would say the website is the best way just to learn a little bit more about us, about our, about the SOS program. And then there's also, um, in the event, uh, there's a school, for example, that would like to, to get more information or they're interested in partnering with us. We have a, an application or a, not application, but a quick like kind of inquiry form where a okay. school can express their interest and someone will get back to them. Um, Usually it's the same day, but definitely within a day or two. So um, we are, like I said, we, we never have turned a school away yet and hopefully we can continue that practice. But uh, our goal is to just continue to get this message out there, the, the, the need to talk about depression, the need to talk about suicide and to educate as many school communities as we possibly can. Yeah, no, that's, it's unfortunately very needed. And now with the pandemic, it's, you know, as you know, depression and anxiety are on the rise. And so um, thank you so much for all that you do. And I'm glad we're able to use this platform to share the wonderful work that you do. Um, so thank you so much for joining us. Um, thank you. I really appreciate you giving me this opportunity to, to spread awareness about our work. So thank you. It was great talking with you. Great talking to you too. It's amazing work. So thanks, Jody, And I look forward to being in touch. Thanks, Miriam.